Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Sue Miglani, and today in Raise Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Greg Sebaski, who's the CEO of Ascend Learning, a leading learning technology company that helps people in healthcare and other professions reach their career goals through education, training, and certification. Greg has worked for over 30 years in the medical device, healthcare services, and education services markets at leading firms such as Hewlett Packard and Philips. And I'd like to thank Deborah Quazo, who's a board member at Ascend, for first introducing Greg and I. We had the opportunity to have dinner a year and a half ago at ASU GSV, and I've really enjoyed seeing how he's led the company to even greater heights. So, Greg, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Great to be with you, Chef. So, can you start by giving us a bit more of your own background and kind of how you got to be CEO of Ascend? Yeah. So coming out of Harvard Business School, you know, I decided I wanted to work in an industrial setting, but in a business that had a mission to it, which is why I started working for Hewlett Packard's uh, healthcare business. And there learned a lot about HP way of management and the style of management served us pretty well for the first 15 years I was there and then was part of leading a team to spin out the healthcare business, as well as the measurement business of HP into a company called Agilent Technologies, which at that time was actually one of the biggest IPO spinouts in Silicon Valley back in 1999. And then ultimately, the business was sold by Agilent to Philips Electronics out of the Netherlands. And there I had an opportunity to work in a much more expanded global role for a company that is really, truly global, not an American company, you know, with subsidiaries around the world, but a truly global company based in a small country. And that was a really a terrific experience for me as well to get around the world on a consistent basis and lead a large services team across our medical devices business, which at that time was about a $10 billion business. When I was contacted to come and work in private equity, I was pretty intrigued when I learned that this opportunity with the SEM was largely involved with healthcare and the ability to improve talent and help improve both the skill level and the cost effectiveness of healthcare. I felt that this was a terrific opportunity and a disruptive change, hopefully, in the healthcare system. And of course, what we see now with telemedicine and new ways of delivering care means there's expanded roles for people in healthcare. But ultimately, for me, it's all about treating patients well, showing empathy, but at the same time, having the right skills to deliver care in a cost-effective way. Yeah, so let's get into Ascend. I mean, it's a pretty impressive organization in terms of the family of companies that you and your team have put together with the flagship of ATI Nursing, which anyone who's in nursing education will, will know is a leader as well as Board Vitals. And you and I share friendships with Dan Lambert, who started the company, and he's an investor and advisor in Osmosis as well. Can you tell us a bit about the constellation of companies that Ascend has within it and kind of the scale and the mission of the company as a whole? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure, Shiv, if we had sort of been there back in late, you know, 2007 and eight, that we would have sort of purchased the same assets nor necessarily put them in one portfolio. And when Providence Equity started making acquisitions of companies, in their education sector, they were really thinking about buying test prep companies. And their thesis was pretty simple, right? Is that people would be willing to pay the most for the final steps to pass a licensing or certification exam. And that's kind of was their thesis. And so when I came on board after a couple of CEOs had spun through that business that hadn't figured out the right strategic rationale across this portfolio, I had a couple of challenges in front of me. You know, one was to redefine the business from my point of view into what I would consider a true services company. 
solving customer problems more broadly than just thinking about test prep. So what I tried to do, you know, in the first six months of running the company, after talking to many, many customers at the university level, was to understand where their pain points were. And I realized that rather than just talking about test prep and success in passing a certification exam, people were struggling with admissions testing and admissions decisions for many of the careers we focus on. And at the same time, they were being measured in their own organizations around retention of students, which is impacted by the quality of the cohort, graduation rates, and obviously pass rates on exams, and then ultimately, you know, job placement in 90 days. And I just felt from a services perspective that I needed to redefine the business not around test prep, but around the entire chain of activities from admissions testing to getting a job that you could be productive in and have a low a low churn rate and a high retention rate for employers. So that was the, the really sort of recipe, if you will, for the business. And the next thing I had to decide was, were we in the right verticals? Did we have the right level of skill to go deep in certain areas, utilizing the nursing model to do that? And that's basically what we've been doing by career is going very deep uh, over time, you know, sharing some technology to deliver supplemental education materials, to deliver analytics and simulation and so forth across the portfolio. And everyone leverages those tools a little bit differently to solve their customer problem. What I did after we changed that thesis, I said, let's get these businesses in the right segments. So now I have a healthcare segment that has unique characteristics. I have a professional education segment, which is largely employer driven. And then I have a large direct-to-consumer business today in fitness and wellness where we see emergence of, uh, of wellness in a fairly significant way to the extent that we now direct our training to a lot of what I would call prosumers, you know, people that want to become more educated about nutrition, fitness, and exercise, but who really aren't necessarily going to be in the business of, of personal training, but just want to know these skills for themselves. So I think we're at a good nexus right now across those three segments, and there could be more in the future. So we just continue to watch the emerging job categories, and we try to then go to those new areas. You know, One that's emerging now is cybersecurity, where we have the leading program for cybersecurity training. Well, there's certificates associated with that activity as well. And the decision for us is, do we go the academic route, or do we go the employer route, or both? So that's a little bit about the magic sauce for us then. That makes a lot of sense. I really love how you've articulated the the journey of the learner where, you know, it isn't just a point in their life, pass a licensure exam. It's it's from getting into the program to getting a, a meaningful job. The reason we call the podcast Raise the Line is it's all about how do we improve healthcare capacity? And right now we're in the midst of the worst that we've seen COVID in the US. And every day there's a story about clinicians burning out, leaving the workforce, and just the fact that a lot of these health systems just despite being willing to pay a lot, cannot find nurses and ICU attendings and whatnot. And so I would love to hear a bit more about how COVID has affected Ascend's business because Ascend clearly is in the business of raising the line of improving healthcare capacity by training these future clinicians and prosumers, as you mentioned. Yeah. So I think what we had to do was sort of defend the franchise, you know, initially, which we did very successfully and then began to play offense. Let me just talk about defense. So you think about students that were in the cohort that was going to be graduating this year and taking their exams so they could go to work and continue to flow nurses into a system where we were seeing many people choosing to retire or not go back to work because of the COVID, you know, experience and the stress in that job. And so we had to work pretty significantly across many of the state boards of nursing in order to allow 
things like clinical time to be supplemented by simulation, which we offer. Many states were offering 50% or at least allowing 50% of clinical time to be satisfied through simulation. State of California, one of the biggest ones, only allowed 25%. So my team actually worked directly in presenting the California state legislature and eventually got a legislation passed and signed by Governor Newsom to change that standard, at least for the, the remainder of the pandemic. And we hopefully that carries into the future, but it's an area where we're innovating to actually reduce any obstacles to getting people to graduation, to pass an exam and to take a test because typically you can't graduate without that clinical time. So that was sort of a key pain point for most of our customers. And as a result, you know, we satisfy that need so well that even our, even customers who weren't buying from us today got to see what we could do and then began to talk to us about signing up for our services in the fall. And we had a tremendously successful fall selling period to increase the number of students in nursing. So that's something we did in the short term just to keep the flow of nursing going. And at the same time, what we've tried to do with our larger institutions, if you take Ad Telem as a customer that's now focused on healthcare with its Chamberlain nursing program, as one of the largest or West Coast University which is a private educator that's also large in nursing. Through the tools and solutions we're providing to the faculty, we're helping the faculty not only be effective in doing remote and hybrid learning, but more importantly, it's allowing them to take on larger cohorts. And if you look at the recent earnings announcement from Adtalem, I think the Chamberlain School of Nursing enrollments were up 13% in the fall relative to the prior year, which is pretty amazing given that overall enrollments at, at four-year schools was down by, what, 2 or 3%. You know, this year, then in the um, community college is probably more in the mid-teens. And so I'd like to say that I think our solutions have helped our schools actually expand the number of slots because we know for a long time that the number of nurses graduating is probably 50 to 75,000, too few, just to fill the number of openings that come every year due to growth in the market or due to, or due to churn in the market. We're trying to address that directly. So I'd say that's our biggest contribution, just getting more people through the pipe that can perform effectively. Those are some fascinating statistics. We've also had, we had Kathy Bowden-Holland from Atalum as well on Raise Line. So it's great to hear that, that you all work with them, especially they're a very exciting org given that they just bought Walden, as you know, and it'll be very interesting to see what they do. We work with AUC, one of their, their Korean medical schools right now. So, you know, you serve a lot of different professions. You already mentioned cybersecurity is, is a very quickly growing one. There's a lot of interest in it. What healthcare professions are you seeing the most growth in? And, and given that COVID's happened, what else are, do you think? Like, is there going to be a telemedicine certification or a specific job that you guys are looking into? Like, where, where do you see the growth? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that shift because we have another business, uh, the National Health Career Academy, that focuses fully on allied healthcare positions. So think about non-degreed positions. That business has grown, you know, probably in the mid-teens for 10 years or more, and it's actually accelerating its growth because we've been able to sort of bring in maybe two to three new certifications every year. And some of them are sort of add-on credentials. So last year, we rolled out team-based care. We rolled out a more involved pharmacy tech or pharmacy assistant product. And so we continue to focus on those expanding roles. We haven't played as much in the subacute space where a company called Relias has been very successful, you know, as you know, in the nursing home and the assisted living space. But we are looking more at the employer markets. A little bit of a disruption this year in the allied health space because of the community college challenges, as well as with organizations like Job Corps and some others that are government funded. There's a number of allied health programs that require on-premise 
for on-site programs. And actually, they decided to shut down back in March. And some of them won't reopen until this March or April. So there's been a little bit of a disruption in that market, but we're actually you know climbing back fairly successful. But I would say all the non-degree positions, everything from nurse medical assistant to pharmacy and tech, you can imagine they're growing quickly. Team-based care is one we've been focused on. And then telemedicine, we just finished an evaluation on a telemedicine course that would not just be offered to allied health professionals, but also to nurses and nurse practitioners. And so I think anything we can do to improve the ability to deliver care remotely or, or teach people about self-care and about compliance, which is where our Cognito business, which teaches many clinicians about behavior change, can help people more, be more compliant with a, a weight reduction or obesity reduction behavior or meal plan or for diabetes management. And we think those things are going to become incredibly important to reduce the level of chronic patients that need to access the system. Yeah, and it's a pretty exciting time given like the, not only the scope of practice changes that are happening, because even if all medical and nursing schools were to double their enrollments now, we'd still have a shortage, you know, in five, 10 years. And so it, it's important that we have, you know, everyone from medical scribes to wellness coaches trained up and, and ultimately the consumer. Several of the people we've had on the raised line have talked about the need for patients to take a more active role in their own healthcare. We had Eric Topol, who literally wrote the book called The Patient Will See You Now. And then we also just recently had Marcus Osborne, who runs uh, Health for Walmart, which is obviously scaling out his healthcare clinics and hiring a lot of people to do everything from medical assisting to nurse practitioner. So I think it's really smart how you guys are positioning Ascend to be able to provide that constellation of training, given the adjustments that COVID is, has forced in the healthcare system. You know, speaking of COVID in the healthcare system, before Ascend, again, we mentioned you've, you've worked at some really amazing companies like Philips and Hewlett Packard, and you've seen a lot of healthcare over the past 30 years, you know, what are some lasting changes you think will happen to the healthcare system as a result of COVID? What do you think we should expect to see over the next five years? I think the, the continued disruption around different ways to access care is of a telemedicine will, will stick, you know, maybe at a 30% rate, you know, from what I've read, as opposed to people needing to go into the offices and it reduces so much friction, right? Of people actually accessing care and having, you know, physicians review their, their blood work and so forth that they could also do much more conveniently than they have today. So my hope is that the expansion of blood labs and things will actually give people faster access and have to share that information with their primary care providers. That's an important one for me. I think I continue to think reduction in chronic care incidents will increase. If you look at companies like Lavongo and others that are innovating, you know, in this area will be important. I think I already have seen a pretty big step that people have on a realization that obesity is, has been a huge issue as a comorbidity for COVID. And I think you're going to see a lot more seriousness about people following, you know, the scripts and the recommendations are actually even entertaining going to an obesity clinic if those services can be provided remotely from your home. And then the third one, I think you're aware of that I know Andrew Dreyfus at Blue Cross Blue Shield in Massachusetts talks a lot about is better access to mental health care. Such a thing that's so undiagnosed in the U.S. and with paraprofessionals behavioral health therapists, other ways to diagnose, I think, remotely. And those services have been made available through a number of health plans this year in an aggressive way. I think what you're finding out is that in many cases, the mental health challenges that sometimes result in the chronic health challenges because the inability for people to deal with depression or some other challenge can sometimes result in obesity 
or type two diabetes. And so we almost look at that as a potential leading indicator. So my view is that those things become more available, they become cheaper as part of what COVID has driven in terms of changes in the market. And my hope is that health plans, right, will finally see, as well as Medicare, but health plans will finally see the long-term cost reduction that can come from working on the front end of these disease states rather than on the back end. So that's what I've seen in the last few years. If I go back to my Phillips days, honestly, there it was about for you know people in more intensive care, cardiac care units. It was about finding ways to do procedures more, more safely and through less hospital time. So, and we did a lot of work there to, to look at the quality of sleep, the function of lighting you know, in hospitals, alarms, and other things that can disrupt sleep, because we did realize that the lack of sleep can sometimes result in potentially on average a a day and a half extra length of stay. And those of you in healthcare kind of know what that can cost, as well as the exposure that people might have within the hospital to infection. So even in the area of critical care, I think there's a lot of innovation that's continuing to go on to reduce the level of cost to service those patients when they do have an experience like that. That's a really good point. And interesting, like whether it's the primary to tertiary care, as you've mentioned, some of the changes that are are happening and how some of these macro trends of, you know, consumer-centric healthcare, as well as things like aging in in place or care at home, which I know has been a a major trend over the past few, not just telemedicine, but care at home where, you know, the clinician will come to you is a really interesting and Hopefully, we'll we'll come back in a big way as a result of COVID. I have two last questions because I know we're coming up in time. The, the first is, you know, given that our audience is millions of current and future healthcare professionals at Osmosis, I'm curious, what is your advice to someone considering a career in healthcare or in general career advice that you'd give them about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? Well, you know, I wrote down a couple of things as I thought about this and perhaps given more time, I might have some more things to say. But one of the things I do know about is a little bit more about value-based care based upon some of the work I've done before and the enhanced you know, reimbursement for outcomes, but obviously patient satisfaction as well. And so when we bought you know, Cognito, a kind of a behavioral health company that allows physicians, nurses, allied health professionals sort of to practice having conversations with patients and their families and so forth, to me, the thing that comes forward is the word empathy. I think that to the extent that all the people working in the clinical environment can, through some training, be able to show more empathy in their healthcare practices. That carries a lot of weight, and I'm thankful to see that it's now reimbursed differentially through some of the uh, the measurements that have been put in place, both for government payer and for private pay. And the other is just you know an appreciation for the economics, right? The economics of care. I know physicians don't always want to hear that because they'd like to be able to do what they think is you know necessary in all cases to take care of the patient. That's their sworn oath, and I agree with that some recognition of value-based care and that they're part of a system that can only survive with some some recognition of the trade-offs that need to get made. And I think that COVID in some respects has resulted in, in fortunately or not, right, some some better recognition of the trade-offs. And then, you know, I think even for things like end-of-life care, which now has become something you can actually discuss, you know, with patients and with families and be reimbursed for is another element that requires empathy, but also an understanding of the economics of healthcare. So those are probably the two two that that come to mind. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And there's a book recommendation I'd give to the audience and you, if you haven't read the book yet, it's The Long Fix by Vivian Lee. Vivian was a Raiseline guest and she ran University of Utah and now is president of health platforms at Verily. And it's an excellent book. One of the chapters is about 
turning patients into co-producers of their own health, similar to what some of the things you're talking about, empathy, shared decision-making, and those kind of things that I know Cognito does a great job of helping clinicians develop that as well. So what other parting words would you have for our audience? Anything they should know about you, about Ascend, about healthcare in general, anything you want to share? Just think about us as being sort of an accelerator, right? An accelerator for, for knowledge. You know, it may not shorten your program, because typically you're still going to be in a four-year BSN program or you're going to be in a, a UME or GME program when you're in medical school. But we like to think that sort of we, we accelerate the knowledge, the ability to get to a point where you're going to be comfortable taking your certification licensing exam and passing it and reducing that anxiety and hopefully giving you some practical skills through simulation, clinical reasoning, which now is being added to the nursing licensing exam. So we're going to be kind of a leader there and offering clinical reasoning to respond to those cases and just to be a better employee. So the early churn for professionals, right, in, in these the healthcare settings is lower than it has been because I think we've seen consistently for nursing the churn rate in the first year can be upwards of 70%. You know, if you're not actually in the right place, some people really aren't cut out for ICU work, at least initially, right, versus maybe working in a nursing home or somewhere else. So we try to help people do that as well. So that's a little bit about Ascend, you know, and then the other things I think for those of you who are working in technology companies or even in healthcare technology, try to service customers. I think, you know, I always tell people that they need to continue to work on their critical thinking skills because there's so much information coming at us today, but being able to discern what's real, what's not real is important. And I can't remember who said it once that everybody in their life should actually take a statistics course at some point in their life to be able to be able to understand and differentiate information that they're seeing, you know, and understand whether a clinical study or a peer review and it has the quality that you'd expect it to have before you're relying on it to make decisions, you know, whether you're a consumer, a patient, or a caregiver. So that's another one that I actually guide people towards pretty, pretty strongly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I was shocked with the, the level of statistical knowledge even we had at, at Hopkins in, in med school in the first year. We also just recently had KX Jing, who's the head of health for Facebook. And it was fascinating hearing some of the challenges that they're facing trying to quash misinformation. Just people don't read, they just read the headline and they don't validate even the source, let alone the statistics within that source. So I think that's great parting words uh, and advice for our learners. And with that, Greg, I'd like to thank you again, not only for taking the time to be with us today, but for your leadership of Ascend and, and what you and your team do every day to, to raise line and improve healthcare capacity. Well, thanks Shiv, for the opportunity. I think, as you know, you know, you and I and others in this space, we're all optimists, right? We're trying to make things better and do it in an intelligent way. And it's great to be part of this entire you know, ecosystem. So thank you for the opportunity. And with that, thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise lines since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>